me. You don't want to mess with this guy. He's, he's a tough guy. But this is Dale Brooks and his wife, Vicki. Vicki, won't you stand up so we can welcome you? And this is Dale's story. Dale was a former biker. I mean, one of these outlaw bikers. Yeah. So he didn't wear his T-shirt this morning because he didn't want everybody to see all his tattoos, but he could have done that. But, but he's also a uh, former Baptist pastor. And he, let me just, I don't know, if you, are we, were you going to share some of your testimony? Let me just tell you what happened with Dale. Dale got in a fight with a Hells Angels guy. This is when he was in the Hells Angels deal and all that outlaw stuff. He got in a fight with this guy, and a few weeks later, this guy shows up dead, okay, because Dale threatened him, or, you know, how all that stuff goes. You get a crazy bunch of guys. And, of course, they thought Dale killed him, and they were going to kill Dale, and this is right so far, isn't it, Dale? And Dale had to go and hide, and they hid, you know, at hide you. But in the meantime, the Lord was dealing with him, and I think he was heard Billy, Billy Graham preaching and accepted Christ as his Savior uh, through Billy Graham's uh, ministry. And there was a Baptist church out down right out the back door of his house. And like he said, you know, if it had been Presbyterian or whatever, that's where he went because it was the nearest place. And he started, you know, changed his life and gave his life to Christ in a real way and felt like God had called him to be a pastor. And so he became a pastor. Um, for several years, real successful pastor, actually, um, in the Baptist denomination. Um, but through a series of very difficult events in his life where he was pretty seriously betrayed and lost his church over it, God really dealt with Dale uh, and really broke him and brought him to a place where, where he realized uh, that he, um, he needs, needed Jesus more than he realize he needed Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line. But, um, so he got involved with a ministry in Charlotte called uh, Grace Ministries. Grace Ministries is a equipping, counseling ministry, equips people to live the life of grace, to live the impossible life. That's what Larry was talking about. To be able to go through brokenness and pain and receive the Lord. He's the vice president of that ministry now, and he's also their staff evangelist uh, and their toilet cleaner. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> but uh, I started hearing about Dale a couple years ago. People started telling me about Dale, and and I wanted to meet him because I was I was going to be a biker at one time in my life. But as you can tell, comparing me to Dale, you can see why I didn't. It's too skinny. I weigh, and I was skinnier then. I was 125 pounds. I had these fascinations with bikers. <laughs> so God protected me by not allowing a motorcycle club in my town. Because I would probably not be here now, because they would have killed me quick, you know. But uh, I heard about Dale, and uh, finally had lunch with him one day, and you know, just immediately felt a, felt a kindredness with him, and just really loved him, truly did. And, just, and he gave me a book to read, and the name of the book, I think it was Grace Walk. Is that what the name of the book? Was that what it? And I thought, yeah, my wife needs to read this book. She needs some grace in her life. That's what I said. So I gave—I didn't read the book. I gave it to Becky. Said, here, read this book. You need to read this. This guy has some revelation here. And she read it and started calling me and saying all this stuff to me. And I was thinking, I don't believe that. <laughs> that can't be true. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> but it turns out God really used Dale 
uh, to really open the door for me to really receive a real revelation of grace, not just a head knowledge of grace, but a true revelation of grace. And that revelation is, is continues in my life to this day. In fact, I attribute everything that God is doing, and God is doing a lot of wonderful things in my life right now, a lot of wonderful things, but I tr- attribute it to me coming to a place of real surrender, where I surrendered in a real way to allowing the Lord Himself to have control in my soul realm. And that's really what has changed my life. Uh, you know, this is, you know, significant events. I got saved. That was very significant. Amen. Another significant event, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was significant for me. Another significant event was, was coming into a real revelation of, of God's grace and what that truly means for the Christian. And it has been radical in my life and continues. And I just wanted to get Dale here. I don't know what he's going to talk about. What are you going to talk about? That's what he's going to talk about. That's what I wanted him to talk about. I never have done this to any preacher before. Come on up, Dale. But he was had some messages that he did, and I hadn't heard this message, but I loved the title of it. And I said, well, you know, if it's the Lord, you can come preach that message to us. It's loving Jesus more. Recklessly. recklessly. Wow, it's even gotten more radical. I thought it was more. He's talking, he's getting reckless. But that is something God wants for us. And so, Dale, just thank you for coming and, you know, bless you. Really, truly bless you. Lord, we pray for Dale right now and bless him. He's a big old boy. So if y'all want to mess with me, come see him. Do I have to use this? Oh, Lord, I won't be able to do this because I won't have my arms and stuff <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Uh, some of you today have probably come to hear Byron Wicker. I kind of feel like a mule at the Kentucky Derby come to hear Byron, and you're stuck with Elmer Fudd. <laughs> no, I do praise the Lord for our friendship. Isn't it amazing how you can walk into people's lives, and immediately the Spirit of the living God living in you just connects? And that's what happened up there that day in that restaurant, and Palmer Holt's here somewhere. Thank you, Palmer, because you kind of put that together, and what a great friend he is. i got a bunch of great friends here. These friends that are mine that have come here to hear me today, they're gluttons for punishments. All I can say, that I don't know why in the world they keep coming and wanting to hear me preach. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew 26. And I probably will have trouble with this microphone because you're going to find out here in a minute. I do all, I, if you cut my hands and arms off, I couldn't talk. Uh, we're going to preach all four Gospels, so I'm going to have you out of here by about 5 o'clock. Uh, the same story is in Matthew 26, it's in Mark 14, and there's debates going on about this, whether this is the same story, but they can go on debating it, I'm just going to preach it. Uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, uh, Luke 7, and John 12, and I'm going to jump back and forth, but our main text is going to be Matthew 26, Matthew 26, and this is a great story, and I don't have a clue how in the world Byron found out the title of this message, but he emailed me the other day, and I was praying about, God, what do you want me to, because I travel every week preaching in different churches, and, and I asked God, I said, what in the world do you want me to preach to those people, and I got an email from him, and I don't have a clue how in the world he found out the title, but on his email it said, love Jesus more, 
It's like the Spirit of God said, hey, are you getting the picture? What I want for those people. Let us stand in honor of God's Word. And I'm going to tell you something. I commend you as a church and this praise team. I go in churches week in and week out. Different denominations, different kinds of people. But this is a church I could have got up and left a while ago without preaching. And God has been worshipped. Jesus Christ has been lifted up here today. And I want to commend you that. Becky, y'all do a tremendous job. Praise the Lord for that praise team. Matthew 26, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Loving Jesus recklessly. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by salty and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor, and when Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for how I have witnessed your children worshiping you today, lifting you up, dancing before you, hugging you, just loving you. Precious Lamb of God, teach us today that that's why we were created, for you to love us and for us to love you back. Help us to understand that there's nothing greater in the world that we could ever do than just to love you. And Jesus, that's what we want to do today. We just flat out want to love you and show it and not be ashamed of it. Live recklessly. Just abandon things that we think are so important, which mean absolutely nothing. Oh, precious Lamb of God, teach these people today that there may be some things in their life that they just need to turn loose of and just love you recklessly. Preach this message because you're the only one that can tell these people the truth. They need to hear what thus saith the Lord. They do not hear, need to hear my opinion. So therefore, I'm asking you to preach this message to your people, draw them to you, and I know that their life will benefit from that. We love you and we do praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just use as an introduction the first two verses of this text here that I just read. It says, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, what that verse there means is he's through with the Jews. He's told them. He's taught them. He's tried to get them to listen to him. To him, they will not listen to him. Guess what? He's walking off the scene. He's through with the Jews for now. He's not going to talk to them anymore. Where is he going? He's going to the cross. But hey, he will talk to the Jews again. He's coming back to this earth. And the reason that they're in such a mess right now is they turned their back on Him. 
That's why they've been in such a mess for the last 2,000 years. So he's finished talking with them now, so he moves on and look at what it says in verse 2. You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. This is the Passover that God had ordained that Jesus be set up and be crucified at. Did you understand that this verse right here in verse 2 means that this is the last time that the Jews will come and celebrate the Passover in the will of God? Ever since then, they've been out of the will of God. This is the very last one that they will celebrate in this fashion right here because the one that's talking right here, my Bible's got it in red in verse 2. He is the Passover lamb. They don't need to go up to the temple anymore and sacrifice animals because the perfect lamb of God has come and been. He is slain for the sins of the whole world. Okay, that's the introduction. Let's move on and just look at four points here, four different people in this text, and God's going to teach us some great things from these four different people. First of all, we're going to see the legalist consulted. Don't know about you, but I don't care too much about being around legalists. Used to be one myself. Knew what a pain I was. Because legalists want to bind you up. Praise the Lord for your casualness here. I, see, I travel and preach in so many churches, I just have to go I don't have a clue how most people are going to be dressed, so I always take a suit. But you know, so praise the Lord, I don't know where the lady's at, but she told me to get out of that tie. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that we can come to church and just enjoy ourselves and we're not bound up? Because, hey, I preach in a lot of churches and have to wear a tie. And it, I've been afraid to wear them things ever since I saw a man get hung one time. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I'm not a legalist anymore. We're going to look at the legalists right here in verses 3 through 5. Look at them. It says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the palace of the high priest who is called Caiaphas. They're fixing to do something that's even breaking their own law. They could not have a meeting. They could not condemn anybody to death. They could not even come against Jesus or anybody else because they were in the wrong place. They were in Caiaphas' house. The, by their own laws, the only time they could do that was when they met up at the synagogue. So they're, they're breaking their own laws right here trying to kill Jesus. In verse 4, and that's the way legalists are. They break their own laws just to get you and me in place. Well, in verse 4 it says, And consulted that they might take Jesus by this word right here, subtly, is the very same word that Paul uses in Acts 13.10 when he's, when he's condemning the sorcerer. He says, I want to tell you something. You're subtle. He says, You're a child of Satan. So what does that tell us about these people right here? I don't care if they were religious. They were not Jesus' children. They were trying to crucify Him. And it says in verse 4, and kill Him. But look at what they said in verse 5. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Isn't that amazing? We're going to kill Him, but let's don't do it on a feast day. We're going to kill Him, but let's don't do it on Sunday. Isn't it amazing how religious people get on Sundays? I don't know about you, but I can worship Jesus riding down the road in a pickup truck on Thursday just as good as I can in this building on Sunday. Now, I praise the Lord for how we've been worshiping the Lord, but i got some news for you. I don't need you people to worship Jesus. 
Praise God, I can fly down the road 65 mile an hour weeping uncontrollably and scared everybody around me. What in the world's wrong with that old man? He's all over the road. He's throwing his hands up out the window. There's nothing wrong with just worshiping Jesus where you're at. But that's the way the legalists do. They want you to be in the house of God on a certain day, and if you're not, you're out of the will of God. And by the way, hey, I love being in church. matter of fact, I'm in church more than I'm anywhere else. But I don't put people in bondage, and that's the way legalists do. See, they're saying, we're going to kill him, but let's don't do it on a feast day. Well, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this first crowd. You know, I, don't, I don't even like talking too much about legalists. They try their best to just put everybody in bondage to where they can't even enjoy what Jesus come to give us. My Bible tells me you shall know the truth, and he shall put you in bondage. I don't think so. He come to set us free. I was a captive. Byron told you who I used to ride with. You can imagine the bondage that I come out of. And you know what I did? I took that lifestyle right into the church, performing, trying to be. Hey, I had an uncle one time. The reason I ended up in that motorcycle gang is because he was a legalist. My uncle was. And he told me, he said, I don't guess you're ever going to mount to anything. Well, I became the best I could out there. You do understand the crowd I rode with, they made movies about. I took great pleasure in going back over to my grandmother's house, especially when that uncle was around riding up on that Harley Davidson and showing him, hey, I thought you said I wasn't going to mount anything. Well, guess what? God saved me, and I went into church and made the same vow. I'm going to be the best Jesus has got. But I became the biggest legalist you'd ever seen. I'd condemn people because they weren't. I'd, I'd say, you've got a lot of gall telling me you love Jesus Christ when I'm out here on Tuesday nights trying to win them to the Lord, and you're at home watching a ball game or watching some kind of soap opera or something while I'm out there winning people. Jesus, there ain't no way you can be saved. Boy, that'll really pump people up, won't it? <laughs> but I'm telling you something, people, that's the way the legalists do it. You're not right if you're not doing what they're doing. Well, that's why they hated Jesus so much here, because he was a radical. Have you ever heard Michael W. Smith's song, His Secret Ambition? Man, they didn't have a clue why Jesus really come. He'd come to set us all free, to bleed and die for us. But they hated him because he was so radical. I'm glad that there's some radicals in America today that are just loving Jesus recklessly. Well, we've seen the legalist consulted. Let's look at the lady who communed. In verses 6 and 7, it says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, you don't think this woman is loving Jesus recklessly? Did you just hear how I described the man who owned the home? Simon the leper. You didn't go around lepers in those days. They were unclean. You didn't dare even be in contact with them. But do you think Mary cared? And how do I know this is Mary? Because if you'll read John chapter 12, Mark 14, it tells you who this lady is. This is Mary. Uh, it's the sister of Lazarus. You reckon she had something to celebrate Jesus about? In John chapter 12, this very same Mary, back in John chapter 11, her brother Lazarus was dead. This very same man that was up here in Simon the leper's house is the very same one that raised her brother from the dead. You think you're going to keep her from worshiping God? You think you're going to keep her quiet? You think you're going to keep her in her normal little routine? I don't think so. This woman didn't care that he was in a leper's house. She said, hey, we're talking about a man who can raise somebody from the dead. If I go in there and do get leprosy, you reckon he can take care of it? That's the way it is when you love Jesus recklessly, people. You just don't care. 
You just don't care what Joe Doe over here thinks about you. Hallelujah for people getting up here in front of this place, praising the Lord, throwing their arms up, dancing around. I like it when people just don't care what the rest of the crowd thinks because it's just them and Jesus. And that's the way it is when you love Jesus recklessly. It just don't matter what everybody else thinks. Yes, I used to be a Baptist, and I've had my back. Hey, they've turned their backs on me, some of them. Some of them are still good friends. But you know what I think? Who cares? You either love me or you don't. But I'm loving Jesus recklessly. And that's the way it is right here with Mary. She, she come in there in Simon the leper's house, and she don't care what kind of house it is. And people, we need to pay very close attention to that man's name, Simon. And I'm going to show you why here in a little bit. Remember that now. His name's Simon. In verse 7 it says, There came unto him a woman, Mary, having an alabaster box of very precious ointment. This alabaster box is very important. It's a representation. This ointment was placed inside this alabaster box, and it was sealed up. And it was not opened until you did whatever you wanted to with that special ointment. So it says in Mark chapter 14 that she came, it says in Mark 14 verse 3, that she came and broke the alabaster box and poured the ointment out on Jesus. What is that a representation of? That is mine in your life. The greatest thing, the lady came up here a while ago talking about brokenness. She's right on target. The greatest thing that can ever happen in your life is to be broken. Because until you're broken, guess what you're doing? You're doing your little performance. You're using your little abilities. You're using your way of doing things. But when God takes you to a place of brokenness, you throw your hands up and say, I can't do this. And God says, now we're getting somewhere. I did not save you for you to do it. Matter of fact, can anybody in here tell me that you're, a, you're, a, you're living the Christian life? Don't you raise your hand because I'll embarrass you. You can't live the Christian life. It's an impossibility. But God takes you to a place of brokenness where you just fall flat of your back, throw your hands up and say, I give up. I can't do this. And Jesus says, I know you can't. That's why I died. Jesus Christ Himself is the only one that's ever lived the Christian life. This lady right here, she come and just poured her life out, a broken life before Jesus. That's what you and me do. That's what we need to do. And when we come and pour our broken us out before Jesus, guess what? We just pour it out all over Him. And it says in John chapter 12, verse 4, that, hey, guess what happens? A fragrance filled the house. A fragrance of the ointment filled the house when she poured it out. The alabaster box was broken. The, the ointment came out, and this is very precious ointment, very expensive ointment. Matter of fact, Mary had to come up with a lot of money to have this ointment. Matter of fact, Judas, the betrayer, told us the, how much it cost. 300 denarii. Guess how much that is? That's a year's wages for the ordinary person in that land of that day. Guess what? Mary had spent a whole year's wages on this one ointment she had put in this alabaster box. She did not care that her family might go hungry tomorrow. She did not care that her light bill might not be paid. Now, I know they didn't have them back then, but I'm relating to you. Because I know how you are. Because I know how I am. I worry whether my light bill is going to be paid. Guess who pays my light bill? 
guarantee you, he has taken... Do I look like I've missed any meals? Do I look like I've spent many nights out in the cold? No, I'm telling you something, people. Jesus will flat out pay your bills when you live recklessly and lovingly, recklessly. I'm talking about just loving Him just out of your control. And it's a wonderful thing because guess what? I can't even love Him. I can't even love you. So what have I done? I've given up that. He's loving you through me. He's loving the Father back to Him through me. It's a wonderful life to be a Christian and just let Jesus do it all. Loving Jesus recklessly. A broke, you're looking at a man whose life just become a broken mess. I used to be a very successful Baptist pastor because I made up my mind I was going to be the best. I was the best at the college I went to. Graduated with honors, president of the student body. I was so good they asked me to come back and be on the board of directors of that college. That's how good I was. I, it, aren't I something? I'm telling you something. I went down there to a church, pastor down there 10 years, told him it was going to be the biggest Baptist church in that area. Guess what? It became the, one of the fastest growing Baptist churches in that part of the country, baptizing hundreds of people a year. I'd strut into them pastors' conferences and say, here I am. Y'all want to know how to do it? Just ask me. Till one day God says, I about had it with that mess. <laughs> the whole, my whole life started falling about. Guess what? Hey, now, I don't know about non-denominations and everybody else, but Baptists are the world's worst. You go into a preacher's meeting, here's the conversation. How many of you running now? How many of you baptizing? That's our conversations. And, hey, I used to strut around there with my shoulders thrown back. I baptized about 168 last year. How many did you baptize? None. Boy, it made me feel good. You've got to be out of the will of God. I'm greater than you are. But, hey, when my church started falling apart and they started leaving by the hundreds, and I'd go visit them, sit in their home and say, why are you leaving? We don't know. God's just leading us somewhere else. I was helpless. I couldn't do anything. And it wasn't too much fun to go back to them pastors' conferences and everybody say, what's happening over there? You must be a failure now. Because, you see, that's the way we gauge things. But I'm glad, praise God, God took me to a place of brokenness. And he's taught me it don't matter how many I baptize. It don't matter how many I lead to Jesus. It don't matter how many sermons I've preached. My life has just become a brokenness poured out on Jesus. And it says in John 12, when, you, when your life becomes brokenness and you pour the ointment out on Jesus, it fills the whole house with fragrance. I like being around broken people and their life is just a fragrance of the Holy Spirit of God flowing out. Have you smelled Him in here this morning? Guarantee you a lot of people dancing around in here and with their arms up, they've been broken. That's what's happening right here, people. It's a great representation. And this woman just didn't care. She wasn't worried about her family. And by the way, she wasn't worried where she was at either. She wasn't worried what those disciples were going to say about her. She just knew there was one sitting in there that she loved. And hey, by the way, that ointment could also be used for a marriage ceremony. They would not have said nothing to her had she poured just part of it on Jesus, kept the rest of it for herself. And by the way, that was her brother in John 11 that was dead. She could have taken that ointment down there and put it on his body before they put him in the grave and kept part of it for herself and part of it for Jesus. Nobody would have said anything, but she did not do that. She give every last drop of it out on Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you something, if He's laid something on your life, go for it. If it don't make no sense, to God be the glory. 
I'm telling you something, I am finding out the more God tells me to do things, it does not line up with the way the world does it. It's just about always opposite from the way they want to do it. Isn't it amazing how we bring people into the church who can run the business world and we let them run the church? That takes all the faith out of it. Love Jesus recklessly and just with an abandonment. And if God tells you, hey, move all these seats out in the parking lot and have church, get them out there and have at it. It's amazing what you can do when you just flat out love Jesus recklessly. That's what this woman's doing. All right, we've seen the legalist consulted. We've seen the lady commune. Let's move on to this next crowd and see the loved ones complained. In verse 8, now it's going to get dangerous right here. In verse 8 it says, but when his disciples, these are not just an ordinary bunch of people right here. This is Peter, James, John, that crowd. That's who this is. Saw it. They had indignation. Look at what they said. To what purpose is this waste? Can you imagine that? These are the guys that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. These are the very same guys that watched him walk on water. These are the very same guys that watched him heal lepers. This is the very same guys that just were there walking with him day in and day out, seeing the miracle after miracle after miracle. But here they are. To what is this waste? Can, what a statement. Can you imagine somebody calling it a waste to pour it out upon Jesus Christ, the darling Son of God? Can you imagine making a statement like that? They're going to make statements like that about you if you live recklessly. How do I know that? You might not even know who this guy is, but the great Dr. Jerry Vines down at First Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida. Listen to this. He was at a regular secular college just getting his first degree, and then he was going to move on to seminary. While he was in that college, he was getting his first degree, and he, he was studying and just excelled, went to the top of his class, and they had a special little organization for that class that if you were really special... They had him in there one day, and they were just talking to all these guys that were really special, just really excelling in their grades. And one of the professors asked Jerry Vines, says, Vines, you are one of the most intelligent men I've ever come in contact with. What is your plans after you get your degree here? What are you going to do? He said, oh, I'm going to be a preacher. The professor looked right at him and said, what a waste. I thought you would do better than that, Vines. Have you ever been to First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida? About nine or 10,000 members. I think they're about to go under down there. No, they own seven blocks of downtown Jacksonville, Florida. They rent out two parking decks to the city. What a waste. What a waste. No, I'm telling you something. If you just get in there loving Jesus directly, somebody's going to look at you and say, you could have done so much better. You could have been somewhere else being such a success. How in the world can you be a failure doing what Jesus wants you to do? And, just, and what does he want you to do? Love him. Matter of fact, he would have loved Jerry Vines if Jerry Vines failed. 